Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. We're excited about continuing our study in John Paul II's The Role of the Christian Family in the Modern World. And I'm titling this episode, Understanding the Times. And I'm going to start by reading section four of The Role of the Christian Family in the Modern World. The church ought to apply herself to understanding the situations within which marriage and the family are lived today in order to fulfill her task of serving. This understanding is therefore an inescapable requirement of the work of evangelization. It is, in fact, to the families of our times that the church must bring the unchangeable and ever new gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's a call right at the beginning of this groundbreaking document, one of the most extensive and greatest in the history of the Catholic Church for families. And it starts off with, I gave you in our last episodes just the intro paragraphs, one, two, and three, and now we're at four. And here's John Paul II telling us to really understand the times, understand the situations in which the church finds itself. And it says the church on this knowledge must evangelize, must spread the gospel, must reach out to families, bringing the unchangeable and ever new gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not looking for novelties, but we are looking to bring the timeless message of the Catholic faith into a contemporary setting. Now, I don't know if you've picked up on this. I think if you've listened to me for a while, you realize that I tend to like statistics. I like accurate pictures of where people are, of what's happening in marriages, especially what's happening with youth. And I'll just just be right up front there. I am a pack rat for statistics. I have folders for statistics on marriage and family life. I have a separate folder for statistics on youth. I have statistics for the practice of the Catholic faith, and I pay a lot of attention to them. And to be honest, it drives a a lot of what I do in trying to be relevant with the timeless message. I don't want to be novel in that sense. And so I will look at, for instance, Barna's research, Barna's Christian-oriented Pew Research, Gallup, the Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate, fairly new one, the Arizona Christian University Cultural Research Center. George Barna sold the Barna Research Corporation, and he's actually working with this Arizona Christian University studying how worldview affects behavior. And, you know, with elections coming up every two and four years, He'll apply that to voting patterns. In other words, if a young person or an adult has a certain worldview, how will that lead them to participate in the political system? And he believes it's fundamental. So all of these things I try to pay attention to. And what I'd like to do today 
is give you a taste of what I have learned. Uh, and I just picked a number of kind of random but interesting statistics that I've been able to dig up. And it's an exercise to show you when I say one of these things or somebody else on Catholic media says one of these things and showing the times we're living in and trying to show an accurate picture. Because I'll tell you, and you'll hear me say this more than once in this broadcast, a real big mistake of parents is to imagine that the world their children are growing up in is the same as the world they were growing up in. To imagine that the college experience they had when they went to college is going to be the same today for their children when they go to college. It's a different world, and we need to realize this and make strategies accordingly. So I'm just going to start with one I remember quite well. I was giving a talk in 1994 at a kind of a uh, it was at a parish, but people from all over came. I don't want to say where it was. But I had just been seeing statistics in 1994 that were indicating there was a problem that young Catholic couples, when they came to the point of getting married, weren't getting married in the church. There was a decline starting in Catholic marriages that, to me, looked rather serious. And I warned against it. And unfortunately, my priest host made a big joke out of my concerns. But this is what happened in the decade following. Between the year 2000 and 2012, church weddings, Catholic church weddings dropped by 40%. I'm not aware, you know, at least in peacetime of anything like this happening. And at the same time, there was a 40% drop in Catholic weddings. The number of Catholics in the United States increased. So this shows there's a remarkable problem here. Uh, The Center for Applied Research and the Apostolate, a Catholic research and statistics gathering group, says that the data suggests over recent decades, a significant and growing percentage of Catholics, perhaps a majority, are marrying outside the Catholic setting, even when they're marrying another Catholic. Now, unfortunately, this has gone on way too far, and now a trend is rolling. And when a couple, young couple, Catholic couple, gets married outside the church, And they tell their friends, well, we blew off a Catholic wedding. And their friends might do it. You don't want to let it get this far. But nonetheless, what concrete thing could you do? Well, let's just say a priest or a deacon giving homilies. How about making a goal, say like in 2022, of just saying four encouraging things about marriage, including the blessings that come with a church wedding in the Catholic church. And just have four things, you say, for the whole year, but sprinkle them through the year. And I found it's sometimes very effective when I give talks is to gear a particular point to young people, even though the whole 
group of people there may find it very interesting. You just you speak to them for just a moment and just do that four times a year for encouragements for marriage. Now, that's not enough, but it's a start. And there's different things you could do, including a short testimony, uh, blessing couples have been married a while. Let them speak. Let them tell about how their faith uh, has helped them out. You know, when somebody lives to 100 years old, everybody wants to know their secret for long life. Well, how about letting a couple like that have three minutes to tell their secret for a lifelong Catholic marriage? So, again, uh, it would have been a lot easier if back in 1994, and I was actually warning of this over this broadcast, but usually it has to hit an extreme crisis point, and then you start doing something about it, then it becomes very difficult. Okay, that just shows you statistics about marriage rates in the Catholic Church. This is another one, and I have some positive ones, by the way, but this is a real negative one. I found out that according to official Australian church statistics, that 95% of teenagers who attend the Catholic school system leave the church. 95%. Now, let's just say you're one of our Australian Catholic parents, and you're just going to send your kids to Catholic school and figure that's that. Well, you need to probably investigate which particular school you're sending your children to. In other words, this is how you would use as a parent these statistics. And yes, I'm sure there's some good schools down there that don't have anything near this kind of drop-off rate. And so you want to find one of those. Also, you probably want to make sure you're involved as a parent so you're not just hoping the school does everything because they're incapable of doing everything. They have their role. Parents have their role. So uh, this is something that just should shock you totally awake as a Catholic parent if you were living in Australia. Now, this one comes from the American Culture and Faith Institute. And these statistics have been around a little while, but actually I'm going to describe to you how these statistics have influenced what I plan to do new in 2022, but I'm getting ahead of myself. These statistics, and it's using somewhat Protestant language, that's okay. Numbers are numbers. We can look at it. The age at which Americans accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, in other words, profess a verbal faith. 46% of those who are living in America who claim Jesus as their Savior and Lord did so the first time when they were under 13 years old. 46%, almost half. And then the teen years, 13 to 17, 22%. Now, things start getting a little rough here because once you hit the late teens, things start going down. For instance, 18 to 21 is only 8%. 22 to 29 is 8%. 30 to 39 is only 8%. 8%. It gets worse. <laughs> 40 to 49 is only 4%. Remember, we're talking about 46% of 18 to 
uh, under 13. Okay, and then once you get 65 or older, it's 1%. Now, I'm hesitating just a little bit. I can't think of a nice way to say this, so I'll just say it. Ministry, media, outreach, evangelism, uh, church programs go for the money. So often they go for the money. Now, if you've worked all your life and been diligent with saving and put money in an IRA and all that type of thing, you'll probably have a whole lot more money than a child under 13. And again, this is just my experience. This is both Protestant and Catholic. So much of ministry and media and programs go to money rather than the key age groups. But if, say, if you're over 65, there's a 1% chance of a real life change in professing faith in Christ, 1%. And yet so much ministry goes in that direction. Now, I was aware of this, very aware of this, and I am hoping to do uh, a new outreach type of thing in the next year. I don't want to get real specific. I like to make a little bit of a surprise. But it involves scripture study through a new avenue of media. And I was looking at these statistics, and I contacted a Catholic education leader, and I, I seriously contemplated, you know, doing something really crazy, whether it be no money <laughs> whatsoever, but I, I think I need to go for the under 13. And we talked about it quite a bit. And I would have to retool a whole lot and then have to work it in a lot of times, develop a curriculum because the kids are already so busy with everything else during the school year. I'd have to make a curriculum out of it. And the bottom line is that this education expert told me, well, she said, Steve, you're already reaching parents and that's the best thing you can do for these kids. That's better than teaching the kids is teach the parents. So that's what I will be wanting to do through the new outreach. And it was based, see, I'm basing the, this is to be able to target these younger kids where 43% of the conversions come. If I help their parents, that's the best way I can help them. But I want to self-consciously target them because those young people are prime time for evangelism. And remember, uh, St. John Paul II says, understanding the times is an escapable requirement for the work of evangelization. This is the, this is the type of hard work we do. Here's another one. And this is from the University of Maryland Center for Social Research. I get statistics from everybody. I try to keep touch with them. This one found that only 13% of 18 to 20-year-old Catholics believe they must always obey the Pope's formal teachings. Now, this is where sometimes parents and priests and youth leaders and commentators on World Youth Day can be led astray because 76% of these same young people say that folks should give the Pope respect, but they turn around and say, on the other hand, when it comes to making moral decisions, you 
follow your own conscience, which isn't Catholicism. You, you, you follow revelation, church tradition, and papal teaching, and they have it turned around. So they're giving respect, maybe even enthusiasm for the Pope, 76%, but only 13% are basing their moral behavior based on papal teachings. This is a dangerous territory. And somehow you have to get it across. We not only respect the Pope, but papal teaching and the 2,000 years of Catholic teaching, the catechism of the Catholic Church, is something we should turn to when we're trying to make a big decision. Okay? Now, here's one that's um, tough to bring up, but Barna, again, the Christian Research Organization, found that 18 to 29-year-olds with a Catholic background, 43% of that group says that the priest abuse scandals have made me question my faith. Now, I just read in today's Catholic news the result of another poll that most Catholics, and it's talking about most adult Catholics, um, even though they don't like the abuse situation, obviously, their faith hasn't been impacted. But it's not the case with young people. Now, they may not say anything unless you ask them like these pollsters did. 43% said the priest abuse scandals had made me question my faith. I'll just tell you uh, my strategy for this, and that is honesty and forthrightness. Rather than trying to say, well, it's really not as bad as Protestant ministers. Well, Catholic priests aren't put in the same level as Protestant ministers. I'm sorry, I've been a Protestant minister and Catholic priest. Catholics claim a different status for their priest or it's not as bad as a general population, or it's not as bad today as it was three decades ago and all this type of thing. You know, that may appease adults. I I, I don't know that for a fact, but it may. But it does not work with young people. I'll tell you what will work with young people is honesty. No excuses. Be forthright and say, you know what? It bothers me too. It bothers me deeply. I really don't like it. And, you know, uh, prison terms for those who who uh, shuttle around abusive priests to attack other children, prison terms aren't too good for that. You can be honest. Let me kind of compare this to something. Okay. Uh, most Protestants who are very uh, sharp in their anti-Catholicism know that there were major problems in the Catholic Church at the time of the Protestant Reformation. Now, you can try to defend, and I've heard people kind of papering it over, it really wasn't that bad, and this and this and this and that. Uh, My approach is I say, yes, there were problems in the Catholic Church at the time of the Reformation. My comment, what we needed was a true Reformation but not a divorce, not an ecclesiastical divorce. And, you know, I've been a Catholic now 31 years. I've never had a comeback to that, if I was honest. And I admitted the situation, but yet not reject the Catholic faith. You you see, this is a whole different approach. 
and we better use a different approach with young people who are really rocked by this because they're all over social media and they're reading the news by headlines and the secular headlines are not favorable to the Catholic Church. Okay. Now, here's one that's very interesting. At least I found out. What occupations are prone to have the highest divorce rates? And there is a researcher uh, who is working with police. Now, police have a stressful job. And if you're a law enforcement officer in the 2020s, my hat's off to you, my support to you, and the level of stress upon police and everybody's dumping on them and everything else. So in any case, this researcher wanted to find out if it's true, as is commonly believed, that police officers have one of the highest divorce rates in our society. And it found out that police officers were not the most likely to divorce and separate. About 16% of law enforcement marriages uh, fall apart. And that's about the same rate as experienced by writers and travel agents and slightly above teachers. So those other much more calm professions aren't having any noticeable difference in a divorce rate from police. So you might wondering, well, what profession has the highest probability of divorce? How, what's the largest number of divorces amongst or largest percentage of divorces amongst a certain group? And it's dancers. Dancers have a 43% chance of marital breakdown. That's two and a half times the divorce rate of police. And right behind dancers are bartenders and massage therapists. Okay, they split up at 38%. Now, here's something that was kind of surprising that came out in this, that many of the caring professions have a relatively high divorce rate of 23% of their marriages dissolving. And again, the high-stress job of law enforcement is 16% probability. Uh, nurse, uh, psychiatric care, home health care, uh, those have a 29% probability of their marriages dissolving. And so the question was asked. This is a little strange because these tend to be very caring people. They're caring professions. And the answer when it was bounced around with some of the researchers is that maybe there's a proneness by people in caring professions to give a lot to their marriages, but not have a whole lot of reciprocal love and caring in return. And that can create a marital imbalance, something that a couple may need to work on or maybe even get a, a counselor to help balance things out. So here's where even a surprising statistic can give rise to an action step to head something off before it breaks. Okay. Now, anybody out there, a parent of a teenager or anybody out there in radio land that will be a parent of a teenager, uh, here's one you should listen to. 60%, that's a lot, 60% of teens who have sex do so when their parents are away. See, 
if you're old like me, where, where does trouble come in? Uh, the drive-in. Well, the drive-in's now a mall. Or Lover's Lane. No, that's a subdivision. Okay, so those aren't the trouble places. The trouble places now are homes. And unlike, uh, I'd say, four or so generations, four, 40 uh, years ago, now you have both spouses in the workforce and a result, empty homes for at least part of the day when teenagers are there. And 60% of teens, according to the who's who among American high school students reported in their annual survey, is that home was where the place for their sexual experiences. Now, you might be there listening to your radio and go, well, that's not my teen. They go to Catholic school or they go to Catholic youth group or they go to Catholic retreats. Uh, They're immune for this type of thing. Uh, Really? There is research on the same subject for Catholic teens in the Journal of Youth and Adolescence, and they investigated 1,222 parochial school students. And what they found out was three out of four Catholic teens, at 75%, reported using the home for the location of the first sexual experience. And it appears that an empty and unsupervised home provides more opportunity for the adolescent, listen up, as well as for the younger grade school latchkey children to engage in sex. In other words, 60% the national average, 75% the average for Catholic teens. Very serious. So based on this type of research, okay, Remember, going back to John Paul II, if we want to do the timeless work of strengthening marriages and family life, we need to understand the times in which we are living in. The times have changed. The places have changed. It's now the home. And we need to determine exactly what cost is there for having an empty home with prolonged periods of unsupervised teenagers being there. It's a question parents need to ask themselves and be aware of if they think this is really meaningful because uh, the more they're engaging in sex outside of marriage, they're going to have weaker marriages. I'd like to conclude the way we began by quoting St. John Paul II, saying that the church and Catholic parents need to understand the situations within which marriage and the family are lived today if we really want to fulfill our task. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 365 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.